You're listening to Psalm Sketches. This is Matt Flegel, and I'm so glad to have you with me as I take a look at Psalm 8 today. Let's begin with the psalm sketch, the musical sketch that I wrote for this psalm. As I said in a previous podcast, one of my convictions about the Psalms is that the Psalms were written to inspire readers as much or perhaps more than they were written to provide uh, doctrinal information for believers. And I believe this is something that a lot of modern believers miss about the Scriptures. And so when we read the Psalms, we're not reading a book like Romans or Ephesians, which lays out um, this very sophisticated argument for some element of Christian faith, Uh, nor are we reading a book of law or a book of narrative, though those elements are discussed at different times in the collection of Hebrew Psalms. Primarily what we're doing is we're seeing snapshots of David and other psalmists' emotional uh, postures at different places in their lives, and out of those postures uh, to create or fashion a poem which reflects uh, an honest and sincere profession of worship toward God. So when we read the Psalms, what we're really, I think, supposed to do primarily is to sort of superimpose 
the posture of the psalm and the psalmist over our own spiritual posture, or to go back to a time in our life where we felt the way that the psalmist feels, and then to see where they line up and where they uh, sort of um, blur the edges between our view of the world and the view of the world of the psalmist. Because the psalmist is inspired to write about real feelings, but with the Holy Spirit deeply involved in that writing, because these are inspired scriptures. Today, I want to take a look at uh, Psalm 8. To my knowledge, this is the first psalm that I memorized other than Psalm 23, which like many other Christian believers, I was raised to memorize. And uh, so uh, today I wanted to do was to uh, not only present to you the musical sketch that I worked on, but also to talk briefly about um, two contrasting um, positions in the psalm. These are ways of looking at God, which might seem to clash, but which in fact, when viewed together, create a, a beautifully complete picture of our relationship as humans to the God of the universe. I want to first uh, read the psalm. It's a short one, so I want to read the whole thing out of the NIV, uh, the New International Version of the Bible. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the, of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. One of the reasons I first memorized the psalm is because uh, the imagery in it was so simple and beautiful, and something about it drew me into this poem. Also, though, it's it's a fairly short, kind of a repetitive poem with a very simple train of thought, um, and I love the idea of comparing my size as a human to the size of the, of the moons and the planets and the stars uh, outside of Earth. Uh, it really is a, a, a poetic expression of a very powerful doctrine about God's uh, character and personhood and his power. So I want to talk about this a little bit today. One or two things that stood out to me in this poem uh, were the reference to God ordaining praise or establishing praise out of children and infants. One of the themes of the Old Testament that you come back to again and again, and it's enshrined in narratives like um, uh, David going up against Goliath, uh, in the narratives of the Israelites being escorted out of the, the, the powerful, powerful empire of Egypt. Um, it's in the story of Gideon uh, attacking, I think it was the Midianites who were his enemies at that point, uh, with, with 300 troops behind him. And the constant theme or refrain in all these narratives is that man plus God is unstoppable regardless of what qualities and talents and wisdom the man brings to the table when encountering an enemy. David in the psalm seems to be kind of recapitulating that idea 
by talking about how God ordains praise from infants. God is concerned with and, and glories in the most humble states of humankind. God delights in the praise of children. Just as Jesus invited the children up into his lap and blessed them when his disciples were challenging him to focus on the adults, the important people, those with real needs. And Jesus, of course, explains to them that the kingdom of God, God's understanding of the world, is rooted in a love for what is simple and humble. And that, of course, is, is best expressed in the behavior and attitude of a child, right? And so uh, here I think we see that David is contrasting the, the highness and bigness and transcendence of God's glory with the simplest, uh, most innocent and helpless elements of creation that is expressed in children. And so God delights in the child. God delights in us when we adopt the perspective of a child. How do children relate to authority? Well, with trust, uh, with a sense of peace, knowing that that authority figure, usually a parent, has their best interest at heart and will always protect them. Uh, children don't worry about the future because their future is framed uh, in, the, in the confidence they hold in their parents. And so uh, David is trying to capture that sense of, of innocence and helplessness of a child, and he's relating to it. And he says that God is gloried in using that humility, lowness, and helplessness to bring to shame the assumption of Israel's enemies that power, that shrewdness, that, uh, uh, that, that sheer force can overthrow God's purposes in the world. So that by itself is a powerful expression of something true in Scripture and reinforced throughout the Old and the New Testament. But at the same time, David sort of takes a stab at a totally um, sort of like polar idea, which is that God's glory is great and that aligned with God, anyone, no matter how humble or broken he or she is, becomes powerful in God, not in his or own strength, but in the strength of God. In fact, he says, you know, God has invested humankind with power. Power to sort of dominate the earth, uh, power to rule over the earth, uh, power to sort of sit at a position of, of strength and glory over the species of the earth. Now, he could be talking more about the Garden of Eden and the idyllic world before the fall described in uh, Genesis 3 and 4. But uh, my sense here is that it's a little bit more current. He is seeing himself as a king, as a uh, sort of an agent of God's justice and power on earth. Uh, recognizing that without God's investing in him, that power, that he would, he would really have no authority. And he certainly has no right to claim authority. But on the other hand, because of what God has invested in him, first as a human being over all the creatures of earth, but secondly as a king over Israel, David seems to be uh, embracing power as a sort of transference of God's authority into his life not something that originates in him. In the middle of these two images, of course, is that beautiful phrase that a lot of us know by heart, what is man that you are mindful of, the, of, of them, uh, the son of man or human beings, that you care for them? And that's a question that's hard to think about because uh, when we try to answer that, why does the God who fashioned all the planets, who rolls out the heavens uh, like a blanket, uh, who who position these stars 
uh, in space and the orbits of the planets and the moons uh, around all these all these stars in the universe. Who are we to compare to that? And the answer rhetorically is we are nothing. And today, when you talk to a lot of people who come from sort of a, a nihilistic or an atheistic perspective, they sort of have no ground to stand on in talking about human value because they ultimately believe that humankind is a random collection of organic matter that will come and go in a matter of 70 or 80 years, if lucky. But that picture of humankind is not the one expressed in the Bible. We are, in one sense, dust. We are physical. We are uh, broken and dying due to the curse of the earth. And we are certainly in a humble position, but we are also, by God's own reckoning, made something beautiful, special, and even powerful because God has transferred his authority into our lives over the the little space of earth that we have been called uh, to steward. And so this contrast of understanding humility of being real with ourselves about who we are and how limited we are, how humble we are, how sinful we are, but also not discarding the sort of polar truth that we are beautiful, redeemed, and ordained by God to bring glory to him by triumphing over evil, by walking in and sort of the power that comes from meekness and humility, by allowing the Holy Spirit of God to enter into our lives and to express uh, his love through our broken attempts to show love to other people. And that is is something that I think should shape our our self-concept day to day to day. We are to go through our lives and navigate through our lives with that that beautiful and, and absolutely true tension between recognizing our limits and recognizing our beauty. And uh, so that, I think, is is the powerful uh, framework of the psalm, something that is very moving to me and very challenging and which has relevance every day of our lives. In this, in this poem, I don't see David expressing one particular emotion so much as he is capturing an idea that challenges him uh, to his core and trying to come to grips with who God is as well as who David is in view of God's glory. And so uh, I just find the psalm to be a beautiful one, a powerful one. And one more thought about memorization. I do really challenge you to think about memorizing the scriptures. It was uh, something that was challenging to me at first. Uh, For me to memorize, I typically have to say something over and over and over again while pacing in a room until it just sort of uh, like a record uh, gets ingrained into my thinking. It's almost like a a musical pattern uh, of hearing the words over and over. So if you pick a translation of of the scriptures that you love and just say it over and over, that can be helpful. You can use uh, hand motions to guide you through memorization. You can use uh, mnemonic tricks, which a lot of people use. Um, There are so many different ways to, uh, to memorize, but it is really good to start with some small psalms. There's something about allowing the scriptures to be in your mind that I think gives the Holy Spirit some raw material to work with. Certainly the Spirit can speak to us, I think, apart from Scripture. But when the Scriptures are in our mind, the Holy Spirit can call them uh, sort of out of the the depths of our thinking and our subconscious and can then make meaning and truth out of them that will change our behavior and our thinking day to day. And so uh, some mornings when I, you know, I don't have a lot of time to to read the Scriptures, I will often on on my way to work just recite a short psalm in my head. 
And as you get comfortable with short psalms and short scripture passages, whether from the Old or the New Testament scriptures, you can move forward into memorizing longer passages, perhaps a longer psalm like uh, Psalm um, 139 or 136. Uh, Psalm 46 is another one of my favorites. These are great psalms that are a little bit longer, but still modest enough that you can memorize them probably in an, in an afternoon or over the course of a week by spending 15 minutes a day rehearsing them. But I do want to encourage you to really, as, as David once said, hide the word of God in your heart um, to get it embedded in your thinking like bedrock so that out of um, that thinking, out of that, that entrenched pattern of scriptural thinking, you can act out things that might surprise you, uh, characteristics and virtues that you didn't think were in you, but which the Holy Spirit can bring about or, or call to being out of the scriptures that you've uh, brought into your life. So uh, reflecting on the scriptures is great, but also memorization is great. And the Psalms are a great place to start with that. Poems tend to be a little easier to memorize than, you know, the text of the New Testament that's more doctrinal, um, more uh, uh, didactic or teaching based. So it's been a great um, uh, time for me sharing from the psalm, one of my favorites, Psalm 8. I hope that you also will use this uh, short reflection as a springboard to bring your own creativity to bear on these beautiful poems. Let them inspire you. Perhaps look at verses I didn't even talk about and find some meaning and some truth in there because I believe that the scriptures are just replete with so much inexhaustible meaning and value for us if we really apply ourselves to think about them. Again, if you want to contact me with, with questions or you want to just share something from your heart out of the psalm, you can uh, reach me at Psalm Sketches on Twitter or psalmsketches at gmail.com. And I'd be uh, so thrilled to hear from you and I'll do my best to respond. 